Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so thrilled to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together. And thankfully, we have a lot of wonderful people we can call on to get the help and insight we need. As you know, I'm always looking for the best experts in their field to help us navigate how to talk to kids about all different topics. Today, we have an awesome guest who is bound to make you feel happy and less stressed, someone who has incredible insights on how to raise joyful children in a stressful world. Katie Hurley, LCSW, is a child and adolescent psychotherapist, parenting expert, and writer. She's the founder of Girls Can Empowerment Groups for girls between the ages of 5 and 11. Katie Hurley is the author of the Happy Kid Handbook and the forthcoming No More Mean Girls, which we will be interviewing her on in the near future. And her work can be found in the Washington Post, PBS Parents, and U.S. News and World Report, where I also write among other places. She practices psychotherapy in the South Bay area of, so- of Los Angeles and earned her BA in psychology and women's studies from Boston College and her MSW from the University of Pennsylvania. She put- splits her time between California and Connecticut with her husband and two children. You can find out more about this fabulous guest on practicalkatie.com. So, raising joyful kids in a stressful world. Who isn't stressed these days? It has become so typical that people talk about it as the new normal, in degrees that answer the question, how stressed are you, rather than, are you stressed? We are bombarded with messages that tell us that everything we need to do is needs to be bigger and faster and better. We need to be the best. We need to have the most, and anything less than that isn't quite good enough. Given that we are running around working to balance work and home, piano, ballet, football, homework, it's no wonder we need experts like Katie Hurley and her very insightful, helpful book, The Happy Kid Handbook. No doubt each one of us will have something awesome to take away from this podcast and we can apply it to our lives right away and just help us that little bit to feel a little less stressed, a little less crazy, a little more calm. So now is the time. Please kindly put away all possible distractions. It's nine o'clock. Let's turn our attention to a today's guest of honor who has taken time out of her busy schedule to hang out, inspire us, and give us some concrete tools that we can take away and use right away or when we are in need. We truly appreciate that you're here. Katie Hurley, thank you so much for joining us on how to talk to kids about anything. Thank you so much. It's a great honor to be here. Well, I am really excited to get started. But before we get into the meat of the matter, for those who are out there who may have not had the opportunity to read your book, to meet you, to hear you speaking about these topics, would you just take a moment to tell us what gets you up in the morning and why are you so passionate about joyfulness and stress and children? Well, I mean, truthfully, the thing that gets me up in the morning these days are my two kids. Mm-hmm. I have a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old, and um, neither of them ever sleeps beyond 645. Oh, so that's my, like my morning wake-up yeah, call. Yeah, like my house, yes. <laughs> I'm sure you can understand. Um, but in all seriousness, I have been at this for nearly 20 years now, working with kids and adolescents, and I've seen the landscape of childhood shift over the years, and I've seen it go from a place where really kids who came to me 20 years ago were under extreme circumstances. And now I'm kind of getting kids who are just struggling because school is harder and their schedules are harder and they're running around and they're not having time to play and they're not having time to relax and they're feeling this pressure to be everything and to be the best at everything. And I'm seeing anxiety in kids that I wouldn't have seen 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. So I am constantly kind of watching that and seeing what's happening both in my office and with the research that's coming out around the world 
and I just thought to myself, you know, I, I have to find a way to reach more parents because, you know, not every kid who experiences stress has an anxiety disorder. So not every kid who experiences stress is going to land in my office or someone like me or you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how can we help them? How can we give the parents some tools to help their kids deal with this stuff so that it's not totally overwhelming? So do you feel that kids are under stress today because of these messages that they have to shove more into their schedules? Or are there some other reasons that are making them so stressed? Well, I think there's a variety of reasons. You know, academics have shifted. We've seen firsthand the pushing down of academics. Mm -hmm. People will joke and say, oh, kindergarten is the new first grade. And mm -hmm. but it really is an almost borderline second grade in some ways, mm -hmm. you know, when I was a kid, you weren't expected to learn to read in right. kindergarten. That, that just wasn't the standard. And now you're expected to come in reading pretty much or be reading within a couple of months. And that's kind of a tall order because as we know, child development is sort of all over the place and no two kids are the same. And they're supposed to have that time to learn and grow at their own pace. And kids are not having that. And then they're kind of, you know, beyond academics, they are constantly being asked to do things beyond their developmental level. I was just talking to a group of preschool parents a couple of weeks ago, and I was saying to them, you know, if you ever just stepped outside of your life for a second, and you looked at it from afar, and you saw these little three-year-olds running around on a soccer field with shin guards that are too big because they don't make them small enough for three-year-olds, you know, and cleats that are falling off because they don't make them small enough for three-year-olds, mm. you would say to yourself, wait, why are we doing this? And they all laughed. And I said, I've been there. I mean, it's not that I haven't been there because I have two kids and I'm in it. And I totally understand the pressure to join all of the things and the wanting the social connection, the wanting to be a part of a community. But in doing that, we've kind of put kids in this position where we're always asking them to do things they're not really meant to do. And that's stressful. Mm, mm, oh my goodness. It's, I love that image of the kids in the, in, in these shin guards that are too, too big for them, because that is probably how they feel most of the time that they're being, you know, they're under stress because they feel like, I, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I, you know, if I'm ever going to be able to do this because maybe my friend can do it and I can't. So now I'm feeling bad about it. Maybe I'm feeling bad about myself. Uh, I can imagine that that's really stressful for those children. But how do you see stress manifesting in those young children? What, like, as a parent, how do we know that our child is feeling really stressed? Well, I always say to parents, I mean, kids don't come home and say, I'm stressed out or I'm overwhelmed. I mean, they just don't use those words. Mine do, because unfortunately, they have to live with me. So mm -hmm. they've been using feelings charts since they were two. So they can say a lot of words and people are like, wow, did your kid just tell you he was overwhelmed? And I'm like, it's good and bad. Um, but kids, you know, the typical kids don't come home and say that. But what they will say is they'll have a lot of stomach aches, they'll have a lot of headaches, you know, other sort of physical symptoms that you've either called the doctor or you've taken them to the doctor. And there's really no other cause for it. You know, they don't have a fever. They're not, they don't actually seem physically sick, except that they are. I mean, parents say to me all the time, well, then they're faking it. And I say, no, they, you know, kids really do worry themselves sick. They do get stomach mm -hmm. aches and headaches. They can even get migraines if they push down too much stress. Um, beyond that, we tend to see trouble sleeping. So a lot of night wakings, like from nightmares or night terrors, or just like really a kid who normally goes to bed pretty easily and then just can't fall asleep. Night after night, we'll see changes in eating habits, like um, typically that they're not eating much at all. They're never hungry. Um, sometimes it goes the other way and they're kind of overeating. But with kids, it's usually that they're under eating and they're saying they're not hungry or they're full all the time. Um, you know, we'll see kids having trouble concentrating in school or at home, just sort of like losing their focus, very spacey all the time. And, you know, important for parents is that I always say to parents, you have to know your child's baseline. So mm -hmm. if you, cause my daughter's 10 and she's very dreamy. So for her being spaced out <laughs> is sort of normal, you know, but, um, so that's not a sign of anything, but, but if your kid is normally like very, you know, focused and concentrates and always answers the question quickly, and then suddenly they're kind of checked out all the time, then that's something to pay attention to. Um, you'll also see them refusing to do all the fun stuff that they normally like to do, even just going to the park or, you know, playing with friends. They won't want to be around friends. 
And then the big one, parents, they usually end up in my office when kids start to regress, whether, you know, wetting the bed at night or their baby talking a lot or they're just starting to appear younger than they used to be. That one tends to worry parents a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's actually a fairly normal response to stress. Do they sometimes act out? You know, do you find that young kids, if they're under stress, are are tantruming or hitting or kicking or, you know, acting, acting in a way that parents uh, feel is is not congruent with their typical behavior, maybe even six months ago. Absolutely. And one thing that's really frustrating for parents is that their teachers will say that they're perfect angels at school. Oh, yes. And then they come home and they just, they fall apart yes. and they scream and they yell. And, you know, I always say, well, the, the compliment hidden in there is that they trust you and they love you and they know that you're going to love them anyway. So they oh, kind of goodness. save it all for yes, you. Yes, right. That's uh, so that's nice. Lot. That can wear a parent down. But yeah, they tend to, you know, just have very prolonged tantrums or become just really, really irritable and grouchy. Mm-hmm. And part of that is that it's very difficult to hold it together all day long. And adults know that, you know, sometimes we're in a work situation and things aren't going well, or we're feeling like we're not doing a good job. And we know that we have to hold it all together. And then maybe we'll go home and we'll go for a run or we'll watch TV or, you know, we have coping strategies that we can tap into, but kids don't have that. And so they hold it together all day long and they act like the perfect angels at school. And and keep everything in check. And then they come home and they just explode because it's got to come out. And that's what happens. So you talk about these coping strategies and, uh, you know, obviously we, if we don't have them for our kids, we need them. I know in your book, you talk about play. So how does play help kids thrive? Well, you know, play is the most important thing for kids. It really is. And parents, often tell me that they think that once their kid gets to be eight, nine, ten years old, that they don't really need that time for free play anymore. And I'm always arguing that that's a time when they need it the most Mm. because life starts to get a little bit harder. The expectations at school do get harder. Homework gets harder. Um, When you add it all up, even being on a team sport, you know, when I played team sports back in the 80s as a fourth grader, Uh one cared, you know, yes. if we won or lost. It really wasn't. I mean, if I totally blew it, it right. didn't matter. Right. You know, no one was yelling at me. It was just sort of, Ugh. I don't know, it was more fun. Right, and right, sure. Now it's not that fun anymore. If you have any kids in sports, you know that it can be very high pressure a lot of the time. So kind of everywhere they turn, the expectations are so high right now that kids are really they're lacking downtime and they're needing downtime. But through the context of play, kids really work through these feelings. I mean, whether they're, you know, using dolls in a dollhouse or they're just imagining something. Um, my kids love to play with their stuffed animals and they go on all. Some other kids just love little manipulatives, little things they can collect. Whatever it is, when they're lost in play, they're working through feelings and emotions and things that are hard. Um, And that's important. That's something that kids really need. And I I do feel that kids are kind of play deprived right now overall. So when you're talking about play, you're really talking about, you know, free play, unstructured play rather than, oh, well, they're out playing baseball with their team or they're playing, I guess, video games by themselves. So can you just expand on how is it that if if it's unstructured play, you're really talking about imaginative play and that kind of thing. It's not really the the computer games or structured play that they might be doing in team sports. Yeah, kids are doing a lot of adult supervised play these days. Mm-hmm. They are doing those team sports or they're doing, you know, theater programs or all sorts of things that are great enrichment activities. But they're doing a lot of that where someone is telling them how they're supposed to do things. Mm-hmm. And what they're not doing is having the time to just figure out how to do things. Now, unstructured play can be a bunch of neighborhood kids get together, find a ball and invent a new game. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's play. And when you do that, you have to what? You have to come up with rules. You have to form teams that are fair. You have to take other people's feelings into consideration. You have to empathize if someone gets hurt or is having a hard time. You have to be patient. So there's all sorts of social skills and coping skills that go into just sort of inventing your own fun. Um, You know, when you're out in the woods, when kids are out in the woods walking around, I mean, I'm talking like I still live in 1970, but you know, when they're out... 
trick things like that. It and, sounds you know. perfect to me because I think you and I are on the same age. I'm like, yes, right. exactly. Well, <laughs> I was watching my daughter and son. We we spend part of our time in Connecticut where we do have woods, um, mm-hmm. not or you know we're pavement here in L.A. But um, and they were out one day and they were trying to figure out how to get over this hole that I don't know what they thought was in the hole, but there was a hole. And so they were trying to get around it and there was this vine coming down from a tree. And my daughter, who's very adventurous, just decided to go for it and mm-hmm. swing on the vine. And she kind of banged against a tree trunk, but she got it over it. Okay. And my son was like shaking his head. Like, I am not doing that, you know? <laughs> so then they found like this giant like log kind of thing to put over it. And he walked across it. And But those are the things you know she was patient with him she realized you know he's scared of doing things like that that's just not his thing she's very adventurous you she and goes I have on the ro- same children you know? yeah. <laughs> so but you know through the context of just playing together and being alone together they problem solved you know they yes. they found a way that worked for each of them yes i and love that, that risky play that's important. good stuff um, and then the imaginary play is just great for you know, i'm trained in play therapy so i i do tend to talk a lot about play but I just see kids work through so many things through the context of imaginary play. And, you know, like I said, it can be animals, it can be people, it can be almost anything. I mean, that's the thing about kids. I always tell adults, adults have so many emotions about play. They think it's embarrassing. They have better things to do. They don't, you know, they don't want to do a voice. They don't want to wear an outfit, whatever it is. Kids have no emotions about play. Like they find random stuff and they're like, let's make this into a hotel, Mm -hmm. you know, and they just do it and they go for it. And when we let them do that and we allow them to have that first of all, time to kind of come up with that stuff. And then the space. I mean, I, so many kids sit in my office and they're like, well, my mom won't let me cause it'll make a mess. And if I don't clean it up and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I get that cause I, I get a little itchy when my house mm-hmm. starts to get too messy. So I know that feeling, but the flip side of it is when we give them that opportunity and they work through all this stuff, they learn so much and they learn literacy skills and math skills. And I mean, it kind of goes on and on. But to me, the biggest thing is the stress relief. It just gives them a time to step outside themselves and work on other things. So when they're doing that, it may be, it may have nothing to do with what is stressing them out. Uh, mm-hmm. It could just be, you know, a release. And then I'm guessing at other times you see them using play to work out what they're stressed about or, you know, maybe come up to come up with how they can deal with a certain circumstance. Is play sometimes used for that kind of thing? Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes it's unrelated and and sometimes it really is. I mean, just the other day, I actually overheard my kids um, playing. They were playing with little Legos. They have all these Legos set up on a table and they were playing something. And my husband and I were sitting having coffee, but we were sort of kind of listening in. And all of a sudden he tapped me because they were talking about um, a robber and there was a robber that was breaking into houses and our house had been broken into years ago and they Mm. still talk about it. They Mm. still think about it occasionally. You know, did you set the alarm? Are you Mm -hmm. sure the doors are locked? You know, they're always on me. And they kind of, they they were together working through that. Well, how were they going to make sure that the robber first of all got caught and then got to jail, but was going to stay in jail and not break out because he kept breaking out. And so the, you know, kids do this. Mm. I, I once worked with a girl for years and um, she really struggled because she was adopted and she loved her adoptive family, but she knew that she was adoptive and she adopted and she had sort of intermittent letters from biological mom. Mm-hmm. And she had created this whole world of where she, that she thought was perfect that her biological mom was working. Of course, in, of course. It that was she perfect. wanted to be a part yes. of. And yeah. And, you know, so she kept just, she really wanted me to have a dollhouse in my office. I actually talk about her in the book because she always cracked me up and, and she really wanted me to have a dollhouse. And so I got a dollhouse and she started playing with it. And she just, it took a really long time. And that's the thing about play too. Like sometimes kids start to work through something, put it down and come back to it. And mm-hmm. just week after week for a really long time, she would work on that the little girl was always running away to New York to find her other family. And then finally she came to a resolution where she wanted to stay with her family in Los Angeles. She wanted to stay in the dollhouse, but she wanted to talk to her mom more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we worked through that and then brought adoptive mom into it and, and talked about that and talked about ways to be more connected. And, you know, but it really, for her, it provided this relief and she was allowed to really say all the things that she wouldn't normally say because she didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings and, and all that kind of stuff. And it really was powerful for her. So, 
you know, you don't need a play therapist for play to be therapeutic in nature. You just need to give your kids the time and space to do it. And if they invite you into it, it's really important to join. Oh, wow. If they're extending an invitation to you, that means they're wanting to bring you into their secret little world. That world is there whether or not you join it. And if they invite you in, you have to take those invitations. I couldn't agree more. I think that is a, such an important thing that you're saying. And sometimes our worlds are very different from our child. You know, sometimes we we don't understand the kind of play that they're doing or our interests are really different. I know that in the book you talk about difference between parents and children that, you know, maybe one is an introvert and the other one's an extrovert or you say as as you say or some other kind of vert, which I love. <laughs> um and and that can make a difference. So how can the idea of difference create an issue when it comes to stress and happiness with your child? I see this all the time. When parents and children are opposite personalities, it, it can be very difficult. Um, when, you know, I sometimes I tend to work with a lot of girls and um, a lot of anxiety is on the rise among young girls, which is why I have an office full of them. But um, I see this a lot where parents who are, consider themselves very extroverted and consider themselves just kind of doers, you know, people who accomplish yes. things quickly. And then they've got these kids who are struggling with anxiety and people with anxiety do not tend to look like doers on the outside mm-hmm. because they're thinking a lot. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on behind the scenes when people are struggling with anxiety and just other people can't see it, you know? And I see a lot of she just has to learn to deal. She just has to make a decision. She just has to, you know, fix it. Mm. And if she just did these two, three, three things, then the problem would go away, you know, <laughs> and that's kind of, and that's a huge disconnect. I feel the because, stress right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, but meanwhile, the little kid is sitting there like, I, I can't do any of those things. I don't want to do those things. Mm-hmm. I can't even hear this. Mm-hmm. And so that can really, it can, sometimes it can be good when there's a mismatch because they teach each other. Once they learn to work together, they teach each other about their different worlds. And, you know, that takes time. But I've had a lot of duos where I've over time been able to help them show each other like, okay, you need to let mom into your internal world that you keep to yourself because that's your safe place. Let her in little bits at a time and she can understand you. And, you know, when they do that and then when the parents open up and they invite the kids into their worlds, they can learn to work together, which is important because you're going to encounter all kinds of people in life. You have to learn how to interact with and and cope with all kinds of things. Um, so, you know, showing each other how you each do it is great. The, the problem that happens in the beginning, though, is that parents tend to feel like they have all the answers. And so they just say, well, I know how to fix this, do this. And meanwhile, the little kids are viewing things very differently and and that doesn't make sense to them. How do you model that? So if a child is different from the parent and the parent is just, you know, saying this is how it needs to be done and you're saying we we need to let the other one into your world, what is the what is the kind of thing for those people who are listening? Like, what could they say to their child that sounds more like I want to let you in rather than this is the way it should be? Well, I'm always modeling in my office and teaching parents how to use empathic listening. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a natural tendency for a parent to want to fix things. I mean, I know that feeling. I'm sure you know that oh, feeling. Of course. You know, even when we have the information in our brains and advanced degrees in this stuff, we still oh, are boy. moms. When you're a mom, all that stuff goes out the window. It goes out the window. Um, So we all know that feeling, and that's a natural instinct. And I want parents to know that because there's you read a lot online about you know stop hovering and stop fixing Mm -hmm. and and don't save your kids from everything. And sometimes that just feels yucky, for Mm -hmm. lack of a better word, Mm -hmm. to to read that stuff because you're like, oh my gosh, I'm doing it all wrong. And and you're not. You know that's that's just a natural parenting instinct, and it's a good instinct. You know, Mm -hmm. it means you're connected to your child. I think, but I'm often modeling empathic listening where, you know, I will have the child tell me how they're feeling. And, you know, for example, like a little girl that I work with who will say things like, I just, I really need time alone in my room to be quiet and read my books. And my brother is too loud and he makes so much noise and nobody ever stops him from making noise and I can't think and I can't read my books and you know mom will want to chime in and say well just close your door you know or something like that <laughs> and, and all which you know again it makes sense you close the door you can't hear it as much but 
I will stop her and I'll say, so, you know, what I'm hearing is that you're feeling a little overwhelmed at home sometimes and that like maybe you're just really tired at the end of the school day and you really need time to recharge your batteries. And then the mom will nod and say, oh, right. And <laughs> that sounds, sounds better. <laughs> you know, it sounds like it's hard to recharge when there's noise in the house, you know, and I've, and I've had these conversations with different, all different families over and over again. And it's, Sometimes you get so used to what you're doing. You know, I've had a mom look, say to me, we're a loud family. Oh, my gosh, we're a loud family. I'm, it's just now hitting me. We're a loud family, and that one's not loud. And I'm like, yeah, that's that happens. You know, I grew up in a loud – I was the quietest of a kind of a loud family. Mm -hmm. And, like, I would be silent at family dinners and, like, ah, I don't want to say anything because I don't want anyone to respond. And, you know, I, I just would sit there and, and, like, obsess about the situation and just, like, think about – well, if I say this, how will this person respond? And maybe it's too risky, so I'm not going to say anything. Mm. So I can understand that feeling. And I think, you know, but sometimes you get into patterns. Like my mom wouldn't say like, oh, we're a really loud family. If I asked her about it, she would just say, oh, I never thought of it that way. Right. You know, it's, so we get into our own patterns and, you know, but being able to empathize with your child and just say, here's what I'm hearing. Am I, am I right about that? Or can you tell me more? Did I hear that correctly? Tell me more about it, like asking for clarification and then saying, oh, so you know what happens when it's really quiet in the house? I start to feel like something's missing. And that's why I'm always kind of doing things and maybe being louder because when I'm sitting and it's quiet, I'm wondering what I should be doing instead. And so I start getting busy. And so, you know, when we open up and we kind of share those in our own inner dialogue yes. with our kids and then we listen to theirs, we can kind of meet in the middle and figure out how to problem solve. Oh, I love that. And listening is obviously so really is so important in every relationship. I love the idea of, of joining their world and especially as I said that when things seem so different my son is very into rocks and bugs and you know everything that has to do with the outdoors and I and I love that about him I think it's very interesting um, but you know and the other day we were sitting down we played this game with rocks uh, now was is it is it my idea of you know oh this is what I would <laughs> want to do with my time no but it is the time when he feels like he feels so content he feels so happy and he can tell me what he's thinking what he knows and of course it starts conversations about other things so right. if, you know they feel right. like when you join their world that they're just so much more able to access their inner dialogue and you know what's important to them and you hear things you never would have heard before right and you know one thing I see and I and I empathize with parents because I I have felt the stress of it too is you know we're just living in a really busy world mm -hmm. right now. It kind of feels like life is always on fast forward and we're oh, there's yes. always something that needs to be done. And so, you know, when our kids ask us to do these things, we're kind of like, oh, oh gosh, we take that right. deep breath. Oh. I'm like, I don't think I can, right. you know, because then I can't do A, B, and C. And, you know, you have that moment and that's a normal yes. reaction. But those little things, they're like windows to their souls, yes. you know, like that's how you can really get to know what goes on inside. I mean, my son invents all these games with his cars all play different sports and he keeps mm -hmm. the statistics and he has this really mathematical mind and he memorizes yes. everything. And so he'll tell me like play by play and statistics and numbers. And I'm like, to me, it's totally overwhelming because yes. my brain does not right. work that way. So <laughs> yeah. I'm like, ah! <laughs> Can I write this down? Well, there'll be a test. I'm not going to remember. And I'll say to him, mommy is not going to remember those numbers, but I will be happy to listen to it again. Yes, you know? exactly. Perfect. I know, right. I know more about rocks than I've ever known before. <laughs> and I have to say, it did take me three days to get to right. a point where I could sit down and do this with him. I, I had my daughter on a play date so that I could just spend time with him in this moment. And he was so happy, but it did, yeah. it did. It took me three days to get there. So I get it. You don't yep. always have the time. So obviously we all feel stress and, um, you know, as, as people in this crazy busy world of, you know, bigger and more and and even as as adults we feel it we know it some of us are are struggle to keep up so how does our stress as a parent affect our children and how they deal with stress and how they can be happy i always say to parents stress trickles down you know even when 
we think it doesn't. And I, you know, it's like, I, I even have seen it in my own life where just different things going on. And I re- just a couple of weeks ago, I said to my husband, we've got to stop talking about A, B and C until it's like after bedtime, because it's the listeners. I got one that's, you know, every family has one spy and mine is pretty exceptionally talented, and spying, <laughs> but appearing to be doing other things, you know? So um, I said, you know, it's starting to rub off, you know, we need to, these are all important things we need to discuss, but we got to do it later, you know, when we know everybody's settled down and we're al- really truly alone. Um, because it does, it trickles down. And, you know, we think, I think as parents, we think we're kind of keeping it in, we try to hide it from kids. I always encourage parents to actually use stress words with their kids and say things like, you know what, I'm feeling kind of stressed out right now. I have all these things on my to-do list that have to get done this week and I, I'm trying to figure out how I'm gonna do it. Instead of trying to hide it, because what happens when we stuff it down is we end up snapping. You know, mm. we end up taking it out on other people and then that snowballs and it gets worse. And so I always say to parents, like, stop and label it. You don't have to tell them all of the things because those are grown up things. But just acknowledging, you know, I have all these things to do and I'm not sure how to do it. You'd be surprised what kids will do. They'll say things like, well, well how can I help? You know, oh, they'll yes. start packing snacks for school or they'll take on things that they know they're capable of that maybe they haven't been doing. Um and not that they should have to do that, but if we talk about it or if we say, oh, I'm feeling really angry right now, something happened mm-hmm. and it really upset me and I'm not sure what to do with it. And you know, I'm gonna go outside and take some deep breaths because that makes me feel better. Mm-hmm. Well, then we start modeling that yes. A, it's good to talk about feelings and label our emotions and B, there are things we can do to calm ourselves down. And kids learn from us how to you know, talk about feelings and how to cope with those feelings. So if all they ever see is us pretending that everything's fine mm-hmm. until we blow up, mm-hmm. that is what they will do. Um, but if they see us labeling it, if they see us saying, I need to take a walk right now and get some exercise or you know what, I really enjoy, I mean, me personally, I enjoy baking. So if I'm like stressed mm-hmm. out, I'll say to the kids, can someone bake cookies with me? I need a break right now, you know, and we'll go and we'll bake cookies, you know, or I want to read a book right now that will calm me down. When we talk about those things and we use the words and we say, you know what, I've, I've got too much going on. My brain is on overload. I would like to sit and have a cup of tea and read a magazine. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. can you guys do during that time? You know, we teach them, we show them that we all have limits. And we all need to use our own strategies. And and that's good, you know. And then you can talk to them about, well, these are the things that help me, but what do you think would help you? Mm -hmm. I wonder what you would like to do. You know, if you asked my daughter, what does she do? She would tell you she draws or writes, you know, in her writing journal. You know, my son would tell you he plays with his cars and things. Um, That's what, but, you know, talking to them about it and helping them connect the dots between, well, I feel this way, but... I need to calm down. So what do I do to calm down? When we label it for them and we show them how they're doing it, that's they internalize it. Like, all right, these are my tools. I can rely on these tools when I need them. Oh, it's it's so insightful. I love the idea of stopping, labeling, acknowledging, modeling, and and really, what one of the things that you're saying so nicely is that you're showing them that you matter and they matter, and that they can stop. They can give themselves permission to stop. You can give yourself permission to stop, take a break and do some self-care, which I think we really do need to model because so often we just keep running through all of our to-dos and don't stop until we just collapse at the end of the day. Right. We do. I mean, there's so much talk about self-care right now and for good reason, but I tell you, we are not practicing it. You know, we're talking about it, but we're not practicing it. I include myself in that. I mean, I have to really remind myself to set limits and slow down and you know um it's hard but it's really really important and we do need to teach that to our kids so that they because they're growing up in this time where stress is cool you know i mean how often do you ask people how are you doing and they answer oh i'm stressed or i'm busy right like what happened to good thank you or (laughs) oh i'm kind of having a rough day do you want to have a cup of coffee you know i mean that's like gone that's delightful (laughs) i know (laughs) so you know we need to show them we need to 
talk more about it with them. One of the people that I interviewed, Dara Harris, who happens to be a dear friend of mine, says the words, I matter in equal measure. And I love that because I think it's important for our kids to see that nobody matters more or less in the family and everybody needs self-care. I will take care of you, but I also would love for you to take care of me. I know my daughter like decided this weekend because I was alone, my husband was on a business trip and she knew I was doing a million things she was she was she walked into the kitchen pulled up a stool because she's she's eight but she's really <laughs> kind of tiny and started washing the dishes no no oh. no words just and then Love she of that. course was like mommy please don't come in the kitchen I want to surprise you oh it really meant a lot to me you know and, yeah, and I knew she that's... was responding to that self-care message Right. And, you know, it's funny because I the other day I forgot something and we were going to my son's lacrosse practice and I had and then she my daughter was going to have practice right after him, but at the same field. And so I had both of their bags and I left. I ended up leaving one behind and we got to the field. And of course, it was his. And I said, oh, no, I don't have you don't have your helmet. I didn't I, I forgot to grab that bag. And typically he would do it. He's very like super responsible like that. But he was excited and he ran out with his stick into the car and I said, oh my gosh, all right, I'm sorry, you're going to be, I said, I'm sorry, you know what, I think I need more help in the afternoons mm-hmm. when we're doing things like this, because I think I get busy and distracted, and I forget things, and I said, I'm sorry, buddy, we're, we're, go home, you're going to be 10 minutes late, but it will be okay, he said, that's okay, mommy, you know, so fine, you know, he gets there, everything's great, and then just uh, yesterday, we had gone out to go grocery shopping, my husband's traveling right now for work, and I came in, and my they had carried in the bags together, and then I I don't know what I did, but I went to wash my hands. I come into the kitchen and my daughter had unpacked all the groceries oh. and I almost cried. I know, right? Doesn't it move you to tears? It does. It does. So much, you yes. know? And she said, well, you told us that you were needing a little extra help. And I realized this is something I can do oh. really easily. I was like, oh, oh what a great thing. So That's sweet, a great question you know? to ask them. Like, what can you do? How right. can you be helpful? And and my kids sometimes do ask that, but I I feel like you know, more and more if we can model that and then also have the expectation that they yeah. will ask that. I, I think that's that's so important. I'm wondering, you had mentioned that, you know, your kids like to draw or play with dolls or somebody likes to have a cup of coffee, but what are some other tips that we could we could utilize so that we can be less stressed and more joyful what else can we pass on to our children here's what you can do what what are some things well one thing i love to teach families because we don't do this enough is to really get in touch with how um, physical symptoms manifest when we're feeling stressed or overwhelmed and Mm -hmm. so I always ask parents to sit down with their kids and do what I call body mapping. And basically, they draw an outline of a body and mom or dad does one and then the kid does one at the same time. And you say to your child, you know, sometimes when we're feeling stressed out or worried or Mm -hmm. just really upset, our body responds in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's important to know what those signs are because that tells our brain, hey, I need to take a break right now. And so I'll have parents practice saying things like, well, Sometimes when you're overwhelmed, your heart might beat really, really fast, and Mm -hmm. they'll color the heart in red, you know, and write fast heartbeat next to it or something. And then I'll have parents say, like, well, what happens to them? Like me, I always, my neck, it's my neck and shoulders Mm -hmm. that hurt when I'm stressed. So I'll color that in red and say, you know, sometimes we, we just really, like, interact with our muscles in a way that we tighten them up, and it can really hurt. And so, like, your neck can hurt, or your shoulders can hurt, or even your arms and legs can really hurt, or you clench your fists, and, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll kind of go through scripts with them like that, Mm -hmm. you know, or sometimes... I just feel like I start to feel dizzy. Like mm-hmm. I start to feel like I'm I need to sit down and you know like I can't focus and we'll go through it and we'll color in the little bodies mm-hmm. and write down all the things and that helps both parents and kids tune yes. in to what stress it's does. Very to them. tangible. Wow. Yes. Right. And it's just like a fun and it's and it's also like it normalizes it. You yes. know, we all go through this. We don't have to pretend that we don't. We right. all go through these things. Um, so normalizing it, sort of getting it down on paper, and then kids will start to realize like. Well, I don't, my neck doesn't hurt, but my stomach does and they'll color in their stomach or, you know, or my head hurts and they'll color in their head. So that's a good thing that parents can do just to start normalizing it and helping kids understand it. Um, I'm really a big proponent of teaching kids how to do deep breathing Mm -hmm. because 
everybody knows that deep breathing is really powerful and it, it really is the single best thing you can do when you're having a panic attack or mm -hmm. when you're just starting to right. feel anxious about something. When you really do deep breathing, you calm your whole system yes. down. Um, it works every single time. But what happens is we don't teach kids how to do it when they're calm and then we say, yes, take a deep breath and they start like, <laughs> 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 yeah. ventilating. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I, uh, I have for years taught kids how to do what I call balloon breathing, mm -hmm. but which I basically have them lay down and pretend that they're going to blow up a balloon and they can pick a color or a design on it. And, you know, basically I'll count them out. Okay. Take a deep breath in. Cause if you, if you blow too hard on a balloon, it pops out of your mouth mm -hmm. and it won't inflate. So take a really deep breath in and I'll count to four while you do that. And then hold it, and I'll count to four, and then you're going to start to let it out really, really slowly because you can't blow too hard. You don't want your balloon to pop out. So really slowly, and I'll count you out to four, and then we'll tie off your balloon, and we'll send it off into the sky. Mm. And you know, we'll do that kind of three, four times to, so that they can get the feeling for it. Or if kids you know, don't like balloons, then we'll do, I'll take them on a rainbow walk and I'll have them breathe in and out each color while I say things that are that color. Okay, let's do red for strawberries and apples. I'm going to count into four and I want you to picture strawberries and apples and a red bouncy ball in your head and we'll, we'll go through every color of the rainbow. And they really, you know, learn to practice that stuff. Um, and then guided imagery, people always, you know, you say the words guided imagery and it's like, ah, that's too hard, right? It sounds like it's hard. Mm -hmm. I mean, essentially, if you break it down, guided imagery is having your kid do deep breathing while you tell them a story yes. that's relaxing, okay, right? Yes. <laughs> and you kind of put a nice That sounds much better, right. right. So I always say to parents, like, ask your kids, like, hey, where do you want to go on, a, on your story adventure tonight? And I do that. I still, to this day, do this with my daughter nearly every night. Um, years ago, my husband's a musician, and he tours a lot. And years ago, when he was touring, she was just having a hard time, and he'd yes. be gone weeks at a time. And so that would help her relax into sleep. And we still do it just because it's a connection for us, and it's, and it's relaxing. And nighttime is hard for kids. It's yes, hard yes, kids. same, same the, thing, yes. You know, the day is over, and all of a sudden your brain's like, you know, yes. get the alert center going. Yes, <laughs> yes. Things. Um, so I always say, just ask you, you know, where do you want to go on an adventure? And, you know, like my daughter will say, oh, I want to go on a, um, a walk through the woods and up a mountain. I'll say, okay, you know, you do your deep breathing, and let me see you take a couple of really nice deep breaths and I'll just spend five to seven minutes just making up a story on the spot mm -hmm. about, yes. you know, what, you know, what do the flowers smell like mm -hmm. and what do the leaves look like? And is there a stream running through it or, you know, and I'll just tell a story. And then, you know, when it's been, a, been about five minutes, I'll just kind of end it and say, okay, and now it's time for us to go to sleep. But, you know, or if I'm doing it during the day and no, now it's time for us to come back and we'll mm -hmm. talk about, you know, what the adventure felt like. That's a simple tool that you can use anywhere, anytime. Um, and, and it's a good connection and it's a good relaxing strategy. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. I, I interviewed Lynn Kenny, who did a, a whole thing on uh, calming down strategies. And she does talk about that and, um, and, you know, some other strategies for helping to calm down. She also underscored that breathe, that breathing, how important it is. And we were talking about anger, but stress, it's like so interesting that, you know, People might talk about you got to take a deep breath during anger, but this is so interesting that you you know really all these strategies work when you're stressed too. Even though stress might not look as big as anger, right. so I I really think that's really interesting that these are sort of calming strategies that you can use uh, for for stress management. Um, because when we're doing it, like if we think about breathing, we feel it in our own bodies, but other people have, may have zero idea that we're feeling right. stressed out in that moment. So I like that you, you teach it when your kids are calm so that they can apply it, even when you may not know that they need it. Right. Absolutely. When I have kids who are typically, you know, because it, we're always told that separation anxiety is like this toddler thing that goes away. Well, of course, anybody who has a grade schooler knows mm -hmm. that it can come crashing oh, back sure in, can. You know, when they're school age. Mm -hmm. um, and it can be pretty significant. So if you have kids who tend to worry a lot or, you know, more than usual or tend to get a little anxious when they're away from mom and dad, mm -hmm. I will say, like, put a little, you know, stick a little note in their backpack and just, you know, put little notes that, you know, one that says breathe, you know, mm. count in to, you know, in and out for four or one that says, tell yourself a story in your head, you know, or relaxing story. That's what I call them. So I'll just write relaxing stories on a card. You know, you can send your kid with a little pack of cards of, you know, mm. strategies they can do when they're at school that no one can see them even doing, you know, even 
I teach kids all the time how to do progressive muscle relaxation, how to flex, you know, starting with their hands, how to grip their hands tight and hold for five seconds and then let it go and then do it again for five seconds and then let it go and then do their arm muscles, you know, their lower arm and then their upper arm. You can do that sitting in your desk and no one knows you're doing it and it helps you calm your body. These are such great strategies and I I can see that you can use them anywhere when a child is is feeling very stressed or when they're just feeling a little bit stressed. It's it seems like those would be helpful. And all of these things like you the one that you talked about where you're coloring in the body. I've done that with when the kids are talking about anger, but I just I never thought to do that when you're talking about stress, I think that's such an insightful thing to do because well, I think, these are things you, know, you can do all the time. Right. And anger is such a hot emotion and it's yes. such a surface emotion. We just, we see it, we feel it, we project it, you know, it's, it's so hot and stress is just one of those internal yes. emotions that like, so we can have so much going on inside of ourselves and have, you know, not show it at all, not give any hint exactly. of it. Exactly really important for kids to learn how to do those things, how to calm themselves down, and then even how to ask for help. Because, you know, even if they are at school or, you know, playing their sport or doing whatever it is they're doing, you know, nobody should have to be feeling really stressed out and really anxious alone. You know, it's, it's always okay to ask for help. That's something I'm constantly telling parents and kids. Right, right. And that it happens to you. And here are some of the things that, you know, you do or make you feel stressed just to normalize it for your kids. Because my kids are always like, oh, you too? Right. <laughs> it's right. good for them to hear that. It is. So out of all the things that you've said, or maybe that's something that you haven't said, it's top tip time. So what would you think is like the most important tip that our listeners should come away with, the most important takeaway from how to have a joyful kid in a stressful world? Well, we touched on it a little bit when we were talking about different personality types, but I think the single best thing parents can do is to get to know their child as an individual. And I know that sounds like a no-brainer, but so often we come into this parenting gig with sort of a blueprint in our minds of how we think it's going to go down and how it's going to work and routines and schedules and things, which can be great. Um, But if we don't treat the child as an individual, we might not be meeting them where they are. And, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody has different needs. Everybody responds to different inputs. So um, just, you know, getting to know who your child really is on the inside so that you can connect with them and you can parent them in a way that helps them thrive. I think that's really important. And then I think, you know, getting stress out into the open and acknowledging it and being willing to step back and be the first person in the neighborhood to say, no, we're not going to play three sports at once. We're only going to do one. Um, being, being willing to take a look at that schedule and be honest about it and say, it all sounds fun, but it's not healthy for our family. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, being willing to talk to kids about that and say, you know, we're going to choose healthiness right now. And we're going to choose to be happy. And one way we're going to do that is by really slowing down, even if it feels different from our friends. Mm-hmm. And and maybe even reminding them that remember when you have that time, you know, those couple of days when you have time after school and you're able to do this or that or one of your favorite things that you don't get to do on a sports day how does that feel to you because i can imagine that they would be acknowledging that that is a time that they really value absolutely and you know parents i find in my office um that parents are afraid to do this because they're afraid that their kids will feel like they're missing out but kids sit on my couch every single day of the week and say to me if I, I say to them, what's your one wish? I wish I had time to play. Oh, that is just sad. But I'm right. glad you're getting to that because it, it's important for our kids to express it and it's important for us to hear it. Right. Absolutely. So uh, I would love for you to tell people your resource of the week. Where would you want people to go to either learn more about you or your book or some of the strategies that you provide? Um, Well, my website you mentioned earlier is practicalkatie.com is the um, URL. And Mm -hmm. I do post all sorts of things there about stress and anxiety, um, as that's my expertise, but all sorts of different parenting things. But I have a really good community on Facebook. And if you look me up, I have a personal account that's kind of boring. But my Katie Hurley LCSW account is where the fun is. Um, There are a lot of parents there that chit chat and 
and ask different questions. And I share all sorts of stuff from, I, I have, I feel lucky to have a lot of colleagues like you who are putting wonderful stuff out there in the atmosphere for parents. And so I do share a lot of content from a lot of different people there. And I think that's a great place to just kind of check in and read something that might lift you, lift you up for a little bit. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think you're right. The things that you post are, are helpful and it makes you feel like you're not so alone when you're around some of those other parents who are dealing with the same things. Absolutely. And that's important right now. You know, we're living in, as you know, we're living in such a time of social media perfection where everybody's life looks like it's great on the surface. And, you know, we're, we're all dealing with different things. Mm-hmm. And um, it's good to have a have a place where you can go and connect with another parent or just read something and feel less alone in it. Yes. I am going to be using your tips. I, I definitely, I have some of that uh, nighttime issue with one of my kids, you know, when they feel like if you're not home, they get a little stressed out. So I feel like some of these these tips that you've told us about, these are some of the things that I'll be able to use in my own family. And I'm I'm really eager to do it. So I'm very excited. Thank (laughs) you so much for joining us today. I I really appreciate it. And sitting here just, it makes me feel, and I imagine others, it's making other people feel that there are some really tangible things we can do with our kids to help them with all the stress that they're feeling and, and maybe help them to feel more positive and able to deal with the stress. So thank you so very much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends, I hope you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up onto Facebook. Let's go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page on facebook.com slash Dr. Robin Silverman, or let's chat about it on drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash Dr. Robin. Oh, and if you love this podcast like I did, I mean, who doesn't love Katie Hurley? Would you kindly go up to iTunes and rate it so that others are going to learn about it, learn more about Katie Hurley, her book, the podcast, and they can use the strategies in their own homes. I truly appreciate it. So that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even when it seems like nothing is going right, and we all have those days, you've got this. You're here, you're getting the information you need. You've got these amazing experts that are telling you some great things you can do. And on the days that we fall short, and you know we all have them, never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. I get it. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet, sweet sanity, please know that you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.